It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Greenhouse Show on KSL News Radio. Good morning. Thanks for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. Maria Anton with you this morning. We're taking your calls at 801 575 8255. Phone lines are open. And you can text us at 57500. Next texter says, Ton, uh, they live in West Valley and they want to know if they can grow opal or kuro apples. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing either one of those right. Are you familiar with those? Opal, I have heard of, and I think that it is still a club variety. If you search opal apple online mm-hmm. and it doesn't come up for purchase, then it's what we would call a club variety. And so most new apple varieties are protected within a, a grower organization. And so there's like ENZA, ENZA, I don't know what that stands for, is one. There's one out of the Pacific Northwest. And so you go to the store and find these apples, and they're four or five bucks a pound. Mm-hmm. And the purpose is just to limit the number of growers that have it. And then that tree is under patent for a number of years. And so nobody can propagate it without a license. Ah. And so a lot of times when you start seeing apples come onto the market, you know, Pink Lady was one of them that is no longer under patent. You know, you that patents up and anybody can grow them. And so if they can't find it, then it's against the law for them to even possess it. Oh, interesting. Uh, next person says, are they too late to throw out California poppy seeds? If not, when should they throw them out? Before the snowstorm or after? Before the snowstorm and just see what they do. They should germinate. Normally, I would recommend late October but I've read fact sheets on them that into, uh, you know, early spring, you know, February, March, putting them down then, I understand that they still should germinate. Okay. Next listener uh, wants to know what are good sprays to put on peaches to prevent peach root borer and earwigs. Uh, they'd like something that's not still in the fruit when it's time to harvest. Well, I, they're going to need to download USU's fact sheets on earwigs. Mm-hmm. They're, they will give a lot of solutions that are chemical-free. And then if you need to, they'll recommend some chemicals. But as far as the sprays for um, the greater peach tree borer, which gets into the trunk, the roots, and sometimes into the limbs, they're going to have to use something like permethrin or seven if they can find it and it's going to be carbural shouldn't call it seven anymore carbural or a captain jack's dead bug brew something with spinosad spinosad has to be sprayed weekly it's but it is organic and so it's a little reduced risk something like permethrin you can spray on the trunk of the tree and it will last for three or four weeks and so you'd spray that soaking the trunk really good especially around the base about once a month. So you would start in early June, do it again in July, August, and September. Uh, next listener says, for the first time, they had squash bugs on their zucchini. 
They say they're going to plant their tomatoes in another area. But would re- be removing some of the surface soil help get rid of the bugs? No, they'll wander in from neighbors' yards. You know, you start a garden and you usually have a three or four year grace period before they find you. Mm. And you know, Dave, we've had him talk about it once or twice. Quit growing pumpkins and squash for a couple of years because the population so was so high that no amount of spraying would get get rid of them. Right. And he didn't want to pickle his garden. And so he said that he planted squash last year and had zero and had a really successful, I think he had pumpkins and zucchinis and things and was quite successful with it. So but, don't plant them in that area. Plant something else. Yeah, plant something else. And you can move them. And if you put them somewhere else in the yard, they may not find it, but they probably will. And what you're going to have to do is late June and early July, when the plants are still relatively small, they need to go hunting for squash bugs and the eggs. And so download USU's fact sheet on summer squash. And I think we might even have one on squash bugs. But download those fact sheets and it'll tell you what to do. But it's something that you're going to continuously be battling. So once you have them, they're just always a problem? Or if you just don't plant for a couple of years, you're still going to have the problem? If the neighbors have gardens, Uh. then they'll just crawl back in. Dave's garden is isolated, and his neighbor, I think, has a garden, but it's way... Like, his is on one side of his yard. You go to the fence line, and then the neighbor's is on the other side. Mm -hmm. So there's two or three hundred yards or or so of separation or something. And Dave's garden is isolated enough that just quitting growing for a couple of years took care of it. And he'll just grow until they come back and give it a break again. Yeah, I'm realizing my luck hasn't been luck. It's where my garden is, not planted near anyone else's garden. There's nothing growing anywhere in the area. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just, unfortunately, the squash bugs have become a fact of life. There's a situation on the big island of Hawaii that there's a lot of, I won't say a lot is relative, but there are several people growing fresh greens because the climate is so diverse on the big island, especially that you can get anything, you know, from desert to high mountain to tropical type stuff. And there are areas where it stays in the seventies day and night all year. Mm -hmm. So they're growing, you know, cabbage, lettuce, carrots, all sorts of different things. But the pest pressure is so intense that they have to spray every week oh, wow. and they have to rotate these chemicals. And so you go to Hawaii and find this fresh Hawaiian produce and it's just been pickled with all of these insecticides trying to keep the moths out. And if the groups would get together and decide that they were going to give their growing operation a three-month break out of the year and rotate where that was going to be, oh, so just it would turns. take care of the problem. Mm-hmm. But they won't. And I understand people financially don't want to do that. But that break just for a few months would be enough if you had all the farmers in the area do it, that it would diminish their pest problems significantly. Well, we have a few minutes here. I want to talk about your tomatoes. You finally got them planted. Oh, it's been a hectic. Give us an update. Winter. But I finally got, I bought a new shelving unit. It's a light, you know, a light bench, and it has six racks on it. Mm -hmm. And got that put together. Mike Karen helped me with it. 
And I finally, I purchased four kinds of super dwarf tomatoes that only get about a foot to 18 inches tall. And they will give you little grape tomatoes throughout the year. And they're designed to be grown in a south window and just they're meant be to be indoor in little plants, house plants. like house yes. plants. Okay. And so they're maybe like an African violet. They might need some supplemental lighting in the winter. And there's something you could bring out on the patio. I, I sometimes fear doing that. Inevitably, inevitably, you get a bunch of pests at mm. low levels and you drag aphids and spider mites and, you know, inside. But if you wanted, you could probably transition them outside and then back in. But I've known several people that have grown similar varieties in their office window for two, three, four years before they've declined. As busy as you are, I am surprised that you're taking up this hobby. Well, I need to. It's an to. experiment. Let's put it that you way. Know, I, I, J.D. Gunnell, who's on the show quite a bit, has a similar setup in his office. And he put it in there three or four years ago. And he told me, he's just like, you know, this job can be stressful enough that you need a release and why don't we do what we were trained to do and we enjoy and so i set up my own setup and yeah i'm stopping at my office on saturdays sometimes sundays you know i have a staff assistant that helps mike karen but it's just something to distract me enough that i get excited about you know i've got to take care of my babies and it's just, it's, it's a mental health thing for right? me. Yeah, it's fun. it's fun. And I want to grow enough of these that I can, you know, give a few out and see what people think of them. But even I thought it would be fun. And I don't know that I'll do this. That you had enough of these, like on a walkway, you know, going up to somebody's house, plant all these dwarf tomatoes on the walkway <laughs> so that it would hey, be your those. Visitors could call. Yeah. Maybe mix them with some of those ornamental peppers, the purple leaf peppers. Right. And I think it would be a really neat thing. But I've ordered most of them from Park Seed. And found a few varieties from other vendors. There's a lot of them out there if you know where to look. But uh, I've got one yellow variety and three reds. Okay. And then you just, you're looking for, when you looked them up, the seeds, you just said dwarf tomato seeds? Yeah, dwarf tomato seeds, super hmm. dwarf, pat, not patio, but windowsill tomatoes. Oh, okay. And Park Seed has, what's their series called? Patio, is patio something. Mm -hmm. But they have especially in the tomatoes, these little patio tomatoes that they've bred. I've, I've tr I'm trying another one that's kind of dwarf called Solano. And I don't know if any of our listeners have ever grown that one, but it's supposed to be quite sweet. And it's kind of a patio cherry tomato that only gets a couple of feet long. So Fun project. Yes. Okay, I'm looking forward to that. Number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. Great time to call. Phone lines are open, and you can text us, 57500. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to... Give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. 
And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning. Thanks for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. Maria Anton with you, taking your calls. Phone lines are open, 801-575-8255. You can text us, 57500. One of our listeners chiming in that they uh, love your walkway idea. They say they have some tumbling tomatoes and hanging baskets, and it's fun and beautiful, and they love to look at watch those as well. Yeah. I they're, Through the 70s, locally, um, the LDS Church came out and wanted people to be prepared, and so... You know, food preservation's always been a thing, but grow gardens, grow fruit trees. And so there was a trend of making everything but maybe the grass in your landscape that you grow edible. Mm-hmm. And so they would use, you know, currants for a hedge, you know, when they need a lower one. And, you know, there would be all sorts of things you could do. And there were actually landscape designers that specialized in this. And every all of your trees, everything would be edible. Mm-hmm. It, you know, maybe a few perennials or something. But even then, you know, if you really were starving, you can grow marsh marigold and all sorts of things. But I've seen that kind of ebb and flow a little bit with the economy. And right now, people are really interested in food-producing plants. And for me personally, I just don't see anything wrong with using garden vegetables as ornamental that you can use. You know, another plant that I think would be really fun are bright light Swiss chard. And so Swiss chards kind of, you cook it or use it like spinach. I love it. It's one of my, it's, it is my favorite vegetable. Yes. And so bright lights, instead of just being the standard red, it has yellow stemmed Swiss chard, red, I think some pink. And so it's just this multicolored chard. And why not use it in your mm-hmm. walkway? And so there are so many things out there. Scarlet runner beans. I think you grew one. We covered a while back another kind of bean that had a different color to it. And that, I can't remember. Oh, the purple hyacinth. But... Purple hyacinth. Yeah. And that, once it's processed, is very edible. You can eat the leaves and you can eat the beans. I just love the flowers on yes. the vine. It's so, beautiful. It's just one of those things that how creative do you want to get? I think... I'm going to, I've had limited success, but I'm going to try growing okras again. And they are related to hibiscus and the flowers are beautiful. So it's just one of those things yeah. that I get creative. If people want more ideas, they need to look at the video we did last year at the Botanical Gardens with Sheridan Hansen because she grew in that a demonstration garden the most beautiful pepper plants and eggplant plants. Um, they had gorgeous flowers. The foliage on those were beautiful. They're unusual. Most people don't think of growing them here, but they do grow here. Check out that video if you want to see some just some really beautiful plants and some different edible varieties that yeah. would add interest well, to Well, and to last year she was doing eggplants and had, you know, I don't know if it was 10 or 15 or 20 varieties of eggplants, but she had them that would grow to the size of a cherry, to the standard size, to varieties popular in Asia or Africa or India. And it was just fascinating to see all the variety. 
Yeah, you can find that video on the KSL Greenhouse uh, Facebook page under videos. And you can also find it on the KSL Greenhouse YouTube channel as well. Arlen is on the line from Eagle Mountain. Good morning, Arlen. What is your question this morning? Well, um, I've got a hot tub in my backyard. And I, I've i let it sit for a little bit. And there's a lot of hard water deposits out in Eagle Mountain. You know, water's pretty hard. Uh, but anyway, I've been told to dump a whole bottle of the PhD creaser in and just give it a acid bath. If I dump that or drain that onto my lawn, what's that going to do to my lawn? I can't tell you for sure. Um, it could harm it and it may not, just depending on the pH of the water and okay. what else is in there. And so, so low pH or an acid well, pH won't necessarily... It, destroy it, the pH, if you did make the water slightly acidic, it would buffer out. But I'm just, you know, if you've been using chlorine, I don't don't know. Have you kept it just fresh or what have you been using to treat the water? Well, yeah, I've been using a little bit of chlorine and, you know, just whatever the chemicals are they tell you to use. To yeah. And so, so it's not going to be great for your lawn. I And there's no possibility of getting a garden hose and running it out to drain into the gutter or anything. Um, I guess, yeah, I guess I could do that. That's probably a safer bet. Isn't it? I think it is. I just wouldn't put that water on my lawn. It yeah. just is. There's always so many questions. I've seen a few operations that had to use chlorine to sterilize equipment like dairies. Uh-huh. And they were just kind of mom and pop dairies, but where the water discharged, and this was over time, the there was like an orchard at one and the grass didn't do well and all the trees were sick. And yeah, so I'll one application that. may not harm anything, but I would just be cautious enough that I would get, you know, a hundred, 150 feet of hose and see if I can just drain that even using a sump pump. If you don't have a water spigot on the hot tub to get it out to the street. Okay. Well, that's probably what I'll try to do then. I appreciate your help. Yeah, Thank not you. Not a problem. All right. Thanks okay. for your Thanks. call this morning. Number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. You can text us at 57500. We have just a minute till the top of the hour news. When we come back, we're going to talk about pruner sharpening. And you're saying, uh, Tom, that it is time to be pruning a few things. It is. On the Wasatch Front, it's time for apples and pears. And so we have a short uh, clip of an interview from Michael Karen. Okay, so look forward to that. That'll be following the top of the hour news about 9.07 here on KSL News Radio. Hope you can uh, keep listening. Uh, if you didn't catch us at the very beginning of the show, we were talking about the plant of the week. Uh, this week, it's the house plant African Violets. Uh, you can check out information about African Violets on the KSL Greenhouse Facebook fit page. Uh, you know, make us your friend, uh, like us, and uh, see all the great information we put up on there as well. And if you do happen to miss the Greenhouse on Saturday morning, did you know that you can catch it on podcast as well? All you need to do is kslnewsradio.com and go to podcasts and you'll find us there as well. We'll be back in just a minute. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. 
In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.